Hey, hey, hungry homies. If you are a restaurant owner and you pride yourself on offering quick service, pay attention. Touch Bistro iPad POS is not just a point of sale. It's a line buster. If you use Touch Bistro, you are basically turning your staff into superheroes. They'll be able to input orders in fewer steps, know right away how much change to give back, and make modifications to orders with a lot fewer taps on their screens. Fewer taps means more money, my restaurant owner homies. Become a paying Touch Bistro customer by December the 31st. You still have time and get yourself a $300 Visa gift card. Just go to touchbistro.com slash carbs to find out more. That's touchbistro.com slash C-A-R-B-S. Touchbistro.com slash carbs. Do it today. All right, all right, all right. My taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades, you know what time it is. Welcome back to another edition of House of Carbs, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This is, my friends, as you know, a food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people, and I am your hungry host, Joe House. Happy holidays, my hungry homies. Super excited for today's show. The Ringer's own Chris Ryan, executive editor and Philadelphia native son, his own personal gift to me and by extension to you, the culinary comrades, the hungry homies. He had me up here to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and we did a very brief food tour. We ate at eight or nine or ten different establishments here in the greater uh, uh, downtown Philadelphia area. Listen in for that. With Chris, we hit um, a bunch of high water marks. You're going to love this conversation with Chris Ryan. All the love to Philadelphia. We also, of course, have food news with Juliet Littman, including a heartwarming story for the holidays about a bakery uh, with the, with a name that I can't pronounce. But you'll hear that when we hit it in the food news. Let's get over to this discussion with Chris Ryan about the scintillating scene here in Philadelphia. My hungry homies, let's get in that belly. My taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades. Here we are. It is the week before Christmas. We're right in the middle of Hanukkah. It is the holiday season, and I've been given a gift. I don't deserve this gift that I've been given, but I was given a gift. The Ringer's own executive editor, Philadelphia native son, Chris Ryan is here today. We went on a culinary food tour. Chris walked us around. We did some Center City. We explored a little bit of the landscape. We're sure that we need to come back. But let's get into some delicious Philadelphia food tales with my number one taste bud, Chris Ryan. Welcome. House, what's up, man? Happy holidays. Of course. 
<laughs> Happy holidays, my brother. Absolutely, positively. Thank you. I want to begin with thank you. I'll end with thank you. We're here in the city of brotherly love. You were very gracious to make time from your own personal vacation schedule. It wasn't, yeah, you know, it was like, it's a pleasure because it's so rare that I get to eat in Philly like this and I ah. get to go on this kind of adventure. But, you know, you were saying in the beginning that, um, you know, I, I think that the, you, we got to come back. And yes. I think that that is the sign of a great food town is when as soon as you start eating, you're like, oh man, when can I come back here? I right? know, we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. Um, so we uh, managed to hit eight to 10 different joints over what I would say about six hours of eating yeah. uh, between two days. Obviously, that is not enough. Philadelphia is a major food city. Let me tell you, hungry homies, let me repeat. Philadelphia is a major, M-A-J-O-R, food city. Chris and I um, you know, had the, the, the blessed experience of, of sampling most of what um, one particular famous chef here has to offer. We're going to get to that. But before we go there, Chris, as a native Philadelphian, let's talk a little bit about kind of your experience with the Philadelphia food scene and what you've kind of observed over the years. Because let me tell you, from my experience as a hungry homie, Philly's in a moment. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's my... It's my curse in life to be a little too early. I always show up to parties a little early. I show up to like, you know, go to meet a friend at the bar. I'm always there fidgeting for 15 minutes as I'm waiting. And I feel like I I left Philadelphia a little too early. So I'm left here fall of 96 after a year at Temple University. Shout out to North Philly. Shout out. And uh, shout out to John Chaney. Shout out John Chaney. Shout out Mark Macon. Shout out Mark Macon. Um, and I took off, went up to Boston. And when I left... You know, obviously you spend the first 18 years of your life and a lot of what you're eating is dictated by your parents. It's dictated by their tastes, by their appetite for taking you out to restaurants, you know. And uh, I think that for the most part, my parents were, they had a really good palate. We, we, we had good food at home. My mom experimented with French cooking, with Japanese cooking, with lots of different stuff. But for the most part, when we would go out, we'd go to Chinatown. We'd go to Little Italy. We would go, sometimes we'd get Japanese food. But that was it. There was not like this pulsating, interesting, creative, comforting, confrontational food scene in Philly that I feel like really sprouted up early 2000s, mid 2000s, but but really really popped off, you know, in in this century so far. So 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 much as that they have their star chefs, but there is a real feeling, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot. There is a hand in hand feeling between what it's like to live in Philly and walk around the streets and kind of like just say what's up to people as you walk into a bar or walking down the street, you get into a conversation and the food and the dining experience. So that's interesting. I um, haven't been to Philly in, in four or five or six years. I was reminded um, how much I love Philly. Even I, I guess I'm not supposed to uh, acknowledge that maybe as a DC, um, you know, homie and a sports fan of all the DC sports, the natural rival rivalries we have with sure. the Philadelphia sports teams. But I really do love Philadelphia. I love the vibrancy of it. I love that um, the pace is one half step slower than New York, yeah. and it's one half step um, smaller scale wise. It just feels a little more manageable. 
there is still uh, the vibrancy that you mentioned. Lots of loud conversations out sure. on the street. Yeah. And folks are not allowed, they're not afraid <laughs> to get loud with one another. And they're sort still of, working out the pedestrian versus car situation here. It's it's only been going on for 60 <laughs> years, I imagine. It's, an, it's <laughs> a constant conversation. Yeah, right. But, you know, in, in, in view of that kind of vibrancy, why do you think um, that the kind of maturation of the food scene here didn't really occur till the onset of the 21st century? Well, I think that it has, it's a larger story story about people either coming back from the suburbs to Philly or not leaving Philly after college or people who maybe would were from here, went to school elsewhere and thought about and just decided to come back. Mm-hmm. And it crossed my mind a couple of times at that same, t- same time period, because as I was coming back and, you know, our buddy Andy Greenwald and I would come back for the holidays from New York or wherever we were living and me and a bunch of my friends, it was just became a really fun town. It started out as a fun town. Now it's a really good eating town. So, I, I mean, going out and imbibing in the the nightlife was was always kind of like a fun thing here because it's that mix of like it gets wild but it also has like a real down to earth quality and that's kind of where the food went so i think that you had chefs who were coming here because the rent was cheaper because they could uh afford to experiment here and they could raise a family and they could afford to pay their employees and it wasn't exorbitant and that's really like the quality that a lot of east coast cities have started to lose over the course of the last 15, 20 years, is that the people that make the city, the soul of the city, really, can no longer afford to live here. Yeah, and it is uh, funny. I'm going to do this a couple more times. Uh, I have to apologize to the hungry homies. I still you know, see the world through my D.C. lenses. Yeah. The same kind of phenomena happening in D.C. Um, D.C. GC is sort of coming into its own as a food city, really coincident with the late 90s, early 2000s. And you know, the experimentation that was affordable, you know, for chefs coming in and trying new things and being interested in um, kind of the 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 allure of D.C. that's slightly different from Philly is that it's constantly changing. And, and you know, there is now a concentration of people that are make the DMV their home. But every year there's 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 turnover. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, accounting for a lot of different tastes and a lot of different experimentation is part of what gave rise to. The DC, um, you know, moment that we're having, but it also, on the flip side, to the point that you just made, um, is now expensive. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to go try what um, some of the the chefs who've really established themselves in DC are doing in new um, experimentation, uh, new kind of cuisines, um, new outposts, you have to have cash. Yeah. And on the one hand, that's fine because DC. Um, has a, a, you know is a pretty well off sort of metropolitan area, but on the other hand, like there's a whole you know group of people that that grew up in D.C. that still have you know a D.C. sort of culinary experience where they're not able to sort of enjoy that the what what's being delivered. So it is a little bit of a interesting moment how how the window there was probably like ten or fifteen years. Sure, and it probably coincided with the rise of food internet, being able to find out about different stuff, being able to hear about these new places popping off, and you can just like. You could dip down and just and just check out like, oh, I heard about this, this chicken and donuts place. I hear about this, whatever. And it's it's they go hand in hand. But Philly, I think, at least from my vantage point is visiting, you know, a couple times a year has really managed to keep its character. So that's the point that I wanted to get at the experience that we had yesterday and today. We only visited one place that you would sort of consider highbrow. Mm -hmm. Everything else was like affordable food. Food that people have um, grown grown up with, even from from older cultures, but like you know, uh, uh, 
historical food is yeah. the way I'll put it, but food that that's elemental, which makes it affordable. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's the vibe that that um, Philly possesses that really made a mark on me over the, the 12 hour eating tour here. There's something I hear all the time in L.A. about like communal dining. We were talking about small plates yesterday and like this idea that it's family style. And those are those are good phrases to throw around. But there's saying it and there is is it. You know, and there the restaurants that we went to yesterday and the way we ate yesterday and today, it felt shoulder to shoulder. You yeah. know what I mean? You felt like you were on, you know, like it was you and a bunch of guys who were stopping in from after work or stopping in on their lunch break or on their way home or whatever. And uh, everybody was kind of that that idea of communal dining is not just there are three, you know, sunchokes on a plate. It's It's got to do with the kind of food that communities want to eat. Well, and that, that power is a community. Yeah, I mean, we we just came from Reading Terminal, mm -hmm. and there there may be no better kind of uh, representation of that point that you just made, where we literally sat at a long table and found two chairs. On the one side of us was two elderly black woman women. On on one side of me was a guy in on his lunch break eating. Uh, he got ribs from the Amish, yeah. you know, Amish rib stand, and then across from him was an elderly gentleman having a delicious uh, deli sandwich. I mean, that is exactly I think what you're getting at. Yeah, man, and I think it goes without saying. It, it, it we really shouldn't go much further than talking about like people talk about California. They talk about Southern California, especially, and like the the kind of quality of ingredients that they can pull from. And one thing that it has not changed since I was a child, and it was like one of the earliest memories, I, food memories I have, is my mom taking me to Reading Terminal Market to get uh, groceries for the week, to get chicken, you know, a, a chicken that we were going to have over the next couple nights. Uh, is that sort of the breadbasket of Philadelphia and of, of maybe Pennsylvania entirely is, is Lancaster County and these Amish farms and they bring their wares down. And it is really like, that's how they did it a hundred years ago. And this is how they do it in 2017. And the food is good, man. Well, I, I can, I can attest to that. And I will say, we're going to throw up on the Insta. I took some, some photos. I, I don't, I hope it was, it doesn't come off as, as patronizing. It's not intended that way in any way, shape or form, but there were young women wearing the Amish headgear the bonnets, in, yeah. in, Amish, in an Amish garb. Yeah. Uh, still heavy representation it's of for the real, Amish. Man, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you've also got inside that, the inside running terminal, not only do you have the Amish kind of like the products from the Amish farms out in Lancaster, but you've also got immigrant communities that have their representation with, you know, whether it's uh, Chinese food, Mexican food. They have the the Italian the Italian American food heavily represented there. Soul food, comfort food. It, it's just everything is in there. Yeah. And it, and it's it's fifty percent people who are visiting from out of town because Philly has become something of a tourist destination. And it's fifty percent people who's just got like fifteen minutes away from their desk. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think we've set the stage. We've kind of uh, created a little context here. Let's talk about some food, yeah, Chris. Let's, right? it, let's talk about some delicious food. Now, on this very first food tour, this food adventure that you and I embarked upon in Philadelphia, it, it was quickly apparent in just the formulating that you, we, were, we were embarking on something that couldn't possibly be conquered in a single experience. So we went in the other direction. We had to decide if we were going to be Mori Ball, be super efficient, Mori ball, like Daryl Mori ball. Or high ball. usage. Yeah, we were, we were lots of threes. Yeah, and threes and layups. Threes and layups. We had to decide whether we were going to have a very specific experience that sort of followed along what one chef has done in the city, or we were going to basically run ourselves ragged trying to go to every place. The people the, the people spoke up. They recommended a lot of places. A lot of great places. You could do a House of Carbs a week long in Philly and still have places to eat. We didn't get a chance to get out of Center City and out of like the sort of proper downtown area to get out to Fishtown where a lot of interesting stuff is happening in Philly. Um, 
we really want to, but we just decided that it would be interesting to see, okay, you know, what's one chef's vision of how people are eating in Philly? Yeah, this guy and his partner have created, you know, what I think is fair to call an empire. Yeah, I'm saying one chef, but the thing we really no- noticed, and we're talking about Michael Solomonov, yes. was that like his his squad is deep. Yeah, like, so yeah. Michael Solomonov, Peter Cook, the Cook and Solo Empire, yeah. and we were with the homie, the hungry homie, Tom Henneman yesterday. Yes. What an incredible ambassador, both for the city, but also for the individual yeah, man. Absolutely. that we that we tackled. We probably spent half of our time talking about food and the other half about the process. And and, and a quarter about Carson Wentz's ACL. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I stopped listening at that point. You guys, <laughs> you guys got, got out your phones. You were showing each other the texts from when the ASO, I'm, I'm out of this. Yeah. Let me get in and let me, let me sit here with my lava and my hummus. Let me just do my thing. So I'm, I'm very, very, very pleased and you know, uh, very thankful that, that brother Mike, chef Mike and, and chef Peter, and and Tom and the whole Cook and Solo Empire were so generous with their time and making sure that we got a complete experience because I find it super interesting that Philadelphia has embraced Israeli cuisine. Yeah. Like it's not the thing that I would have guessed, um, you know, the 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 among the most highly rated restaurants in Philadelphia, always in the top five of restaurants. James Beard, Mid-Atlantic, um, chef of the year, Michael Solomonoff. Zahav is his flagship restaurant. And then we hit another five of these kind of specialty joints with their own different flavors, their own different approaches, their own different techniques, all based off of that Israeli model um you know that mediterranean model and i think we got a a pretty damn good representation of what they're all about my stomach agrees with you for sure yeah (laughs) and each each place has uh its own specific menu and its own specific uh you know greatest hits but there was i don't know man there was a vibe in each spot that was consistent we're gonna name names we're we're just gonna do it i'm gonna i'm gonna uh you know throw out the name i'm gonna give you a couple my reactions a couple of these i'll put out the name and you give your reaction because i don't want to be the i don't want to own uh should we start at the beginning we're gonna start at the beginning yeah federal donuts this was the place that i said to you i was like house i'm gonna come pick you up and i'm gonna take you to federal donuts that's exactly right and uh god bless we were at the federal donuts right there in center city 16th and sansom yeah 16th and sansom um, we walked in. I deliberately had not eaten anything all day long because I was, I wanted, I wanted to be prepared. Training day. I also did not um, do any research coming up here. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to kind of take uh, on everything that the experience had to deliver without really knowing and really uh, developing any preconceptions around how this was all going to go down. Yeah. I'm very happy about that because it meant, you know, I got to uh, listen to Tom. Describe it the way that he intended, what the idea was, sure. what they're trying to accomplish. And um, I also did not have any sense for how successful they've been with any of these things. The only thing that I knew coming up here was that Solomonov and Zahav, nationally well-known, mm-hmm. nationally prominent, um, you know, in, in incredible landmark um, destination he's created here in Philadelphia. But all of these other joints, I didn't have any sort of background in. And you told me Federal Donuts. So I was like, okay, great. Donuts, donuts and fried chicken. Donuts and fried chicken. And House, it's worth mentioning that, and I don't know, this would be interesting to hear your impression of it as you were like walking up. These places are like just, they're in the wall, man. They're right. Like people are walking around, they're cutting cross parks and up and down side streets. These places, they're all kind of clustered together. A few of them are clustered together right around Sansom Street on 16th. And it's just like, 
it's part of the background. It's part of the fabric of the city. It's really important to me. Like that area was not what was hot when I was <laughs> when I was fifteen yeah. and walking around Chestnut Street after high school and stuff. And to be around and have those places available to eat, but also not changing necessarily the the dynamic and the and the feeling of the city is really important. So I don't I don't know. I thought that was like that's almost equally important. The food is obviously the number one thing. Well, you only know you know what it looked like before. To me, it looked like streetscape. Yep. It looked like these were natural, um, sort of you know uh, brick and mortar entities that might have been there for thirty years. You know they they had it wasn't like an effect an affect in yeah. terms of the weathered yeah. look or anything. Neighborhood, neighborhood spots, neighborhood spots, and you know you walk in and and a couple of them there's only you know a dozen places to sit down or mm-hmm. so. It's not like you know there are these massive halls where they're intending to you know churn people through. Uh, it looked you know you can come in, you can get your fix of fried chicken and donut, and then you know be on your way. Let's go take your nap. That's it. <laughs> we didn't have that luxury. No. But we did tackle. I think we got the full representation at Federal Donuts. Now we had the the fried chicken sandwich with the rooster sauce and the yeah. American cheese slice, which you you pronounced your affection and your allegiance to American cheese. There, it just felt like a G moment. You yeah. know what I mean? I walk in and and the first thing that uh, that I see is uh, you know a. a, a dripping slice of, of a beautiful American cheese on, on the roll. And I, I had to do a double take because at first I thought, oh, maybe that's the sauce. No, brah, that was the cheese. Yeah. Golly, we're off to a great start. And then Tom hooked us up with this this cornucopia of donuts, this incredible buffet of donuts, yeah. eggnog donuts, sugar plum donuts. Yeah. It was just incredible. Yeah, they had a whole uh, Christmas theme, yeah. Hanukkah theme, would have seasonal theme, let's sure. say, uh, of of variety of donuts. What was your favorite donut? Uh, eggnog. That's that's funny. You went right there. You were very fast with it. Mine was. I'm going to use an f bomb. Uh, we do have an e warning on this thing. It was the fucking sugar plum <laughs> because it was goddamn delicious. <laughs> and the main thing about it that that was striking to me was I didn't. I didn't expect it. Yeah. It was very unexpected. Sugar plum donut. Huh? Yeah. But it was like, it was refined. Um, it had a subtle taste. Um, and it was in between blueberry-ish and grape-ish. It's exactly what my mind wanted to tell me a sugar plum might taste like. What did you think of the combo of the chicken and the donuts? Like the, 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 the shot in the chaser? So here's the thing. That place, for me... Needs to be an end of voyage. Yeah. Because I, what I want to do when I get arrive at a place like Federal Donuts is eat and then eat and then eat and then eat. I don't, it was our very first destination. And so I, you know, I, I ripped off a piece of the fried chicken and ate, I ate a, a delicious thigh. God bless. They, of course, they bring out a, the, a perfect thigh, right? And the four dipping sauces. Yeah. yeah. They know the dark meat is the way to go. The sandwich was awesome. And we told them, dude, we're going to do all these things. And when Zahab is at the end of the night, um, he's like, well, we got to try. You got to try. You yeah. got to try. So we we tried. Uh, all right, Federal Donut, and then we walked across the street. And we hit up Abe Fisher. Yeah. Right, for the latkes. Yes. Which were, I don't know, I, it's hard to explain. I'd never had any latkes like these before. So uh, me either, and the iterations of latkes that I've had um, in my experience, not authentic. I don't have a strong Jewish tradition. Uh, my heritage isn't isn't that way. But they... I've always sort of had them round and they, they've been, in my experience, like pressed potato yeah. patty is yeah, the yeah. way I would describe it. Like these, a hash brown almost. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, these were like scorched earth, perfectly crunchy outside, long, like misshapen, um, bad motherfucker bites of 
potato food. Yeah. Um, With an incredible combination of, there was like a dill, a kind of like a dill sauce that you could put on there, like a dill sour cream kind of yes. thing. And then a, God, that, that applesauce, man. I know. That was nuts. And I don't like to put sweet stuff on savory stuff typically. Like, I really? Want, I want my salt to be salty. Okay. Uh, and I don't want to really f- f- be foul it with, yeah. with a sweet. But <laughs> you had to do it. I mean, it was the, it's the tradition. It was the traditional way. I was very happy that I did it. I love the, the thickness also. It was a perfect thickness. And they stuck together. That yes. was the other thing yes. is that you want, if you're going to get yourself a big pile of potatoes that have been fried to perfect outside crispiness, perfection, and the inside is soft exactly. and warm. I want it to keep together. You want to have that experience bite after bite. I'm going to I'm going to commit a violation probably. Okay. I don't know yet. Maybe maybe they won't be mad. Uh I thought the latka at Abe Fisher's was better than the latka at at uh, Zahaf. <laughs> I mean, I just I just have to say it. Yeah. We had latkas two different ways. <laughs> one latka fell apart. One latka was a bad mf'er. Each bite perfect crunch, perfect tenderness on the inside, the dip. I mean, you know, Chef, shout out to Chef Yehuda. Chef Yehuda, <laughs> uh, I hope I'm getting his name right. He was kind enough. We, we we he sat there with us and then made sure we were enjoying the latkes at Abe Fisher's. Yeah, shout out to Chef. Um, and then we had we we toured the we just got the hummus experience. Yeah, we, we went to Dizengoff. Yeah, and we uh, you know, all that Dizengoff does, brilliant in concept and very portable. You know, I I didn't realize this until I looked it up this morning. How um, you can get there's Disney Golf in New York, there's Disney Golf in Miami, I believe, yeah. uh, and then there's Whole Foods that are selling the Disney Golf wares. All Disney Golf does is hummus. And for me, well, let me ask you. I'm not. I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about you. How did you like the hummus? Okay, so the beef hummus, which is just like a hummus with like a little bit of like seemed like olive oil and some ground, perfectly cooked ground beef on top. Yeah, with the hot, the hot bread. Was next level. But I think that if we're going to talk about this hummus restaurant, we have to talk about this hot sauce. Yeah, the shug. Yeah, man. Because you, 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 you went someplace with it. Well, it was transportive for me. And I'm always looking for, you know, when, when, when a place brings out the, the thing that it's kind of known for, but then with the accompaniments, because they, they want you um, to try it a handful of different ways um, that are all consistent with, you know, wh- whatever their um, particular origination is. Um, I did not expect a hot sauce with hummus. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that a hot sauce side would be part of the, the overall presentation, but it was. Yeah. And it was uh, um, an incredible co- a combination of Serrano um, with, a, with a very soft consistency Lemon. Uh, I'm going to get more of the ingredients wrong, but it was it was a a um, it was a very sticky texture. And if you took a nice sh- rip, a nice shred of pita, and applied the shug at the bottom as the base, yeah, yeah, and then you grab some of the ground beef and you bury the beef in the shug, and then you take a great big dollop of the hummus. And yeah. let me tell you, this hummus. Mother, mother, may I? <laughs> this, it was a perfect creamy. creamy. Yeah, exactly. That's the words. Transportive, and you and and you let it kind of pour on top of that. That is a bite of food, my friend. Yeah, that every one of, of those pieces of food that we've talked about so far, you felt like you could be a guy walking down the street eating that. Like, there's something about like 
if a fo- if a food is transportable, if you could eat it on your way back to your office or your way back home or your way to your car, and you know Philly has like a little like Philly's untucked, man. I saw a couple guys driving around with slices on their dashboards today. Yeah. <laughs> Philly untucked, yeah. Word. And uh, and I just feel like that's what they have at these restaurants is that feeling of yeah, you can sit down, you can knife and fork it up, you can take pictures, or. You could just get that in the crook of your arm while you're walking back down the street. For real. Yeah. Absolutely, positively. Well, that's a perfect uh, segue into the next joint that we um, experienced, which was Goldie's. Yeah. Uh, another place. The shawarma I, spot. Yeah, the shawarma spot. I didn't know. Well, it's falafel. falafel. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea until I looked it up this morning. Vegan. Now, we, I knew that certain aspects of it were oh, vegan because they, yeah, they, they, the they described okay, it yeah. to us. Um, but the whole joint is vegan. Which, you know, on the face of it, if you said to me, I'm going to take you to a vegan Mediterranean place, I'd be like, okay, I'll try it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, it wasn't presented that way, you know, at least when we walked in, the way Tom kind of described it, the way the dishes were brought out to us. It does three things. Falafel, French fries, and tahina milkshakes that are... They're non-dairy, and I have no idea I, I how that's possible. That. I question the possibility. I mean, it, they are non-dairy, but... How can you replicate? I had coconut and you had original, right? I had the OG. I had to have the OG. I don't know how you replicate that that creaminess. You know, the, the what what makes ice cream ice cream is butterfat. And I don't know how they evoke that. It can't be like cashew milk or some shit like that. Yeah. But it's there's some kind of a brilliant alchemy going on in those milkshakes. They have perfected it. It was a a literal milkshake experience where I had a giant straw. And I, you know, it's a big, thick thing where you have to really work to get it up out of the straw yep. to get the big mouthfuls. And each one's a big payoff, right? Yeah. You work hard to get that shake in there, out, in your mouth, and it's a big payoff. The one thing that I wish we could have eaten more of at Goldie's was the boat. So that was I. I couldn't remember the name of it. Uh, and and it was. Um, I'll let you describe it. You it's describe just basically it. like fries slathered in all types of goodness, man. It was like sauces. Was there was there falafel in there yeah, too? Yeah, like hiding in there somewhere. Yeah. So this is the thing that put me over the top. It was by this point, you know, whatever time in the afternoon, we're still far enough out from dinner. Probably about four or five o'clock. Yeah, yeah. It's far enough out from dinner. It's like okay, we have to tap the brakes a little bit sure. because we got something big coming this evening. We want to make sure we give that the honest and full uh, representation and experience. And I'll be gosh darned if the boat, I mean, they had a fork sticking out of it. You had to take a fork. Yeah. Fall, and the fork went from the very top to the very bottom. It penetrated three or four fries. It penetrated the sauces. It penetrated uh, the, a falafel bite. And I had to take a giant bite of it because it was absolutely stunning. And we still weren't even halfway done. No, we weren't. So then we went downstairs to this spot that I think in terms of uh, it being the season that it is and it kind of speaking to what I love about Philadelphia, I think it, it you can find that embodied in Rooster. Yeah, so the Rupert, Rooster Soup Company was our last visit of this afternoon tour. And, uh, you know, I think it's worth spending uh, a little bit of time talking about the background of this, yeah. how it came into being, and what the guy's idea was uh, uh, around it. Um, it is, uh, by design and in what they deliver, you know, this terrific diner vibe. They have great big banquettes. They have a great counter space. Tiled floor, yeah. It's it's that style. It's that home-style cooking, like great sandwiches, beautiful soups, um, salads. 
but the, the the origin of it, and we're not going to tell the story 100% correctly. And, and uh, just to be clear, Mike Solomonoff is coming on House of Carbs, Chris. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have him on in January, and we'll have him tell the story sure. as well. But there is this um, collaboration between Rooster Soup and the Broad Street Ministry, um, which is a, a, um, a, a quite big... Uh, hospitality venue that if that is you know for for low income and homeless mm-hmm. folks who need um you know food and and sustenance and uh, protection from the elements yeah right? and tom told us the story where basically they were producing a lot of chicken parts basically throughout their their empire but especially for donuts obviously which is making the fried chicken and the chicken sandwiches and he was saying that like they what they wanted to do do was make soup and donate it to Broad Street Ministry, but Broad Street Ministry was just like, look, man, like we try to teach people skills here. They also, this is like their mailing address. Like that's not how we would do it. But, you know, if you guys could help us out in another way, that would be great. And Rooster basically is pouring money into this place. And it it was, it's, it's a community restaurant in the best sense of the word. It was funded partially by local businesses, people who cared about this, this, the mission of this place. And, um, all that aside, not that that is a very important element. Probably the best lentil soup I ever had. I know. So this is a, the the crazy thing. I mean, part of uh, we we I just wanted to mention this to close the loop. The the a hundred percent of the money that comes into Rooster goes to the ministry. Right. So it was like the guys wanted to do something charitable, charitable minded, and basically it's like, well, then go start a restaurant and give us all the money. And they're like. <laughs> Okay, yeah. we'll do it. Yeah. And the people of Philadelphia stood up. They crowdsourced the mother effort. They funded it. It's a super cool space right on the same block. And they have these two awesome posters of uh, one from a picture from Harrison Ford eating soup in Blade Runner. Yes. And the other of Luke Skywalker and Yoda having whatever it is Yoda cooks him on Dagobah. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at the posters, the images are made up of the names of all the people who donated to the Kickstarter to get the restaurant off the ground. Yes. Yeah. So, so... Incredible concept, incredible execution. Let's talk about the soup. I'm a little under the weather. I don't yeah. know if the hungry people uh, can. So hear let, it. let me paint the picture. House is struggling. Yeah, house is, and we've we've hit house with a bunch of donuts, a bunch of latkes, a bunch of beef hummus, fried chicken, some fried chicken, some some the the fry boat. So fry boat. He's trying to work it out, but like house is, he's probably game game day decision. Yeah, and we get downstairs, and house just. Bangs on this matzo ball soup that they have in a mug for us. And there was a cream of cauliflower soup that was richer and more flavorful than any cream of broccoli or cheddar potato soup you could possibly imagine that had already been dumped a bunch of pepper and hot sauce. It was so flavorful. And this lentil soup, and it just gave him life. Yeah. I felt like House was ready for another round right away. Well, it did. It did put the hop in my step that was necessary to Build that bridge to get us yeah. to, to dinner. Yeah. I needed that nourishment. I needed that sustenance at that moment. That wasn't, you know, uh, chewable food. I took the, I, we both shared the lentil. I didn't want to get you sick. So after you'd had your taste of the matzo ball, I took the matzo ball and I drank the whole thing. Yeah. I drank the whole thing down. Yeah. And it was absolutely the perfect moment. The lentil was the thing I wish we'd started with, though, because it was super rich. Yeah. And it got right down into that spot in between my throat and my chest. It was almost like a beef stew. Like, yes. that's how rich it was. Yes, yeah, absolutely true. Uh, and had that umami, the umami mm-hmm. that you like, that you you strive for with a with a genuinely uh, well-executed beef stew, mm-hmm. the lentil. So I wonder if they'll they'll hit us up with the recipe for that. Uh, I don't know. It seems like it was we a state ask. secret. We didn't, we didn't ask. ask. We didn't ask. They have the cookbook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So that was the the afternoon experience. We hit all those joints. Um, it was a wonderful stage setting. We really explored, you know, the Mediterranean. But again, I think primarily with all the uh, restaurants, except for with the exception of Rooster Soup, which has a different concept, you know, a lot of different mm-hmm. like emphases on different aspects, each one individually well done. One particular thing emphasized in each of those places. And you could tell when Tom executed. was talking to us, this is how the guys, who, the people who are behind these restaurants who are working at these restaurants, this is how they like to eat. Yes. They like to eat. You and me across the table. We got a bunch of stuff here. We're eating with our hands. We're dipping. We're just going after it. And we asked them how often. Yeah. You know, this place once a week, that place once a week, that place once a week. Some of these places once a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're there. He's in good shape for a donut guy. I, well, he, he, run, he likes to run a lot of hoops. Yeah. He's playing hoops in his, in his, I won't give away his age. <laughs> God bless Henneman for keeping it up with the young bucks. All right. So let's get to the big daddy, the, yeah. the crown jewel of the evening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This is my favorite restaurant and full, full stop. Yes. Uh, part of it is because it's just become a tradition for me and my mom to go here during the holidays when I come back to Philly. But whenever anybody asks me, where should I go in Philly? I say Zahav. Uh, I know that there are lots of newer restaurants. I know that there are lots of cool restaurants. I know that there are, there are restaurants people love, but this is, you know, sometimes you find your spot yeah, and you got to re- represent it. That's it. So it was very important to me to take Joe to Zahav. Um, it will be my, it was my first of two trips while I'm home. And uh, it was awesome, man. It was, it was awesome. great. It was awesome. It was very unexpected, but um, we'd already kind of set the predicate um, through the Mediterranean experience we had. I, I love this idea of like this modern Middle Eastern, but with a heavy emphasis on, on Israeli. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to talk to Mike about like the distinguishing factors of, of what, what makes Israeli food different from Lebanese food, different from Palestinian food, different from the kebab thing, yeah. you know, um, what what are the unique kind of f- facets? What what set it sets it apart? It's different. I mean, all, all I can say is, as a food enthusiast, my experience of it is different from all those other cuisines I just mentioned. The word you used a lot yesterday over the course of our eating, and especially at Zahav, was bright. Yeah, and and that's when you get the salatim. These the series of little uh, like they're almost like finger finger bowl sized salads, and we yeah. had eggplant, we had some the fennel salad, we had the. Uh, the beets. Your favorite, the carrots. The carrots with pine nuts. Yeah. You get like six salads in these little dishes and they just line up and you're just like, it's popping. Purple, orange, you know, the dark blue and green, the 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 bright white green of the fennel salad. And it's just like, it vibrates off the table. Yeah, I, I uh, found it slightly electrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, both visually, which is always every, all the hungry homies know, Part of the appeal, part of what makes a, a satisfying food experience is looking at it and letting your eyes do a little eating before you get into it. We threw up on the House of Carbs Instagram, the salad team all, all lined up because of the variety of, of color and the diversity there. And, you know, I didn't know what I was in for with each bite. Mm-hmm. And I love that um, anticipation building up to that. I found s- such a, a variety of taste. The difference between the fennel salad and the green beans. Mm-hmm. Like the green beans could have been from Greece. Like I've had like that that kind of like tomato-based like green bean um, you know, it's slightly different. They're um, the Greek tradition, and I'm going to botch it. Um, there's a name for these for these gigantic beans that you can have yeah. in a certain kind of sauce or whatever. And I, I'm not uh, sophisticated enough to know it. But these were like bright and crunchy green beans inside of that that sort of tomato base. And then the fennel slaw is like this 
brilliantly refreshing, super light. It's like, what if I just ate a whole bowl of this? Yeah. Like, how great a meal would that be? A couple glasses of of uh, a, a, a delicious, you know, uh, I don't know. It would be a white. I would be drinking a white sure. with it. You know, probably a a, 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 a nice mouthy Chardonnay. Because- Outside of a whitewashed house <laughs> overlooking the sea. Something, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You could easily be uh, out on the beach doing falafel and, I mean, uh, doing the fennel and, and, and some nice white. The cool thing was was that when you when you eat at Zahav, it, you know, people talk about they want to tell a story with their food, they want to go on a journey with their food, but you really do feel like he's taking you up and he's bringing you down in the best possible way where you start off with these like poppy, electric bright colors and like these like tangy flavors and then you get d- deeper and darker and heavier and and it, it's just like a really cool experience beyond the fact that it's amazing food yeah i think they've thought about this oh, I, I think I they planned they, it out it a little bit to them. yeah <laughs> i think it did occur to yeah. them i think they mapped this out because we did return to i would say we returned to the earth mm-hmm. i mean we, we were in the farm and we were kind of taking things off the plants but then we got into the animal kingdom <laughs> Uh, you know, guys that aren't afraid to have their snouts down in the in the dirt and the mud and the yeah. water, and we enjoyed those things. Yeah. We, so there were a couple of of dishes. One where it was a great moment from for me. We had grilled duck hearts. God. And your boy house takes one bite and goes, "That's the fucking goat." Which is pretty funny <laughs> to hear House call a duck heart a goat, but we speak the same language. I knew exactly what he meant immediately. That's a that's a next level dish because it you go through a range of emotions eating that. Yeah, duck heart. So it is not just a lean protein. There's a natural fattiness to it, and duck all by itself is is flavorful. Mm-hmm. But this is like it's an organ. Meat. You can also taste the smoke. You can taste those those. The coals on that, absolutely, and and as an as an organ meat, the the richness of it that came through. That's what, and I only took a, a half a bite of the very first one. Now there's they 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 come in a size that you can eat them all. And you just put put them in your mouth yeah. and, and and down them. Um, but I liked. I wanted to get a half a bite of one because I wanted it kind of in my nose a little bit. So I thought by chewing, you know, you can you sure. know how you can get the the flavor into your nose. That's how I wanted it. The very first one, mother, it was the effing goat. Yeah, right? until. <laughs> Until the yeah. lamb came out. I know. And we so we have so this is the thing. This is this is the the uh what's the French word? The denouement, yeah. the you know, the coup de gras, whatever. Uh whatever the, Let the, me tell you something, the peak man. is. Next time you bring me some food, bring me some tongs. Because they brought the lamb out. Yeah. And it comes with like a fork and some tongs. Yeah. And Tom and Tom was just like, that that's just gonna fall right apart. And yep. he was right. It yeah. was just like this just gorgeous piece of meat slathered in this amazing sauce we all we had all the little condiments and all the little dips and all the bread was still sitting there you could make yourself a little sandwich if you wanted to this crispy rice that they had with it that gives it like this little crunch this it was just incredible so uh, the, the thing about the lamb two two elements of it that that jump off um the page at me in the first place when it's delivered, it is um, it has a glaze. It has a pomegranate uh, glaze on the outside of it. It's dry age. 
smoke. So it it it, it arrives in a heap, and it doesn't look like it is separable. Mm-mm. It looks like you might need to use a knife or a fork or something to to uh, you know break it up into pieces. But Tom says that like you know just take the. So we took the tongs. Immediately, it's falling apart. You're getting a great gob of, you know, as much as the tongue can handle. I, I drop it onto my plate and I want to eat it with my hands yeah. because that's how it looks. It's a little too hot, but I don't care. I grab a great big gob of it and jam it in. I want the fat on my fingers. I want the fat on my mouth. I want the glaze in my mouth. And, and it was, it was beautiful. That's trouble town too, because you get into that lamb and you're like, I'm going to be here for a while. Yeah. And you forget you, the great dishes are the ones that make you forget everything you've eaten for the rest of the day and everything you got to eat for the rest of the night. And we were like, we were going in, but I think we knew we had more coming. We had dessert. We had everything else. Yeah. So we, 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 we tackled it properly. We did not annihilate it. Um, we were respectful to it. Yeah. We had our enjoyment with it. I used both hands. I got both hands. You know, I got, I had to go to the bank. I'm OCD, as you know now, spending 12 hours with me. when I, t- I like to touch food with my hands, but afterwards I need my hands cleaned off. Uh, but we went through that that whole deal. We got through the shellac of it. It was a beautiful shellac on top of That's it. That's a good word for it, yeah. And then, we, and then we, we were treated to a wonderful array of desserts, none of which the name of who, I mean, I, I can't tell you one name of them. Well, they did a lot of stuff with Labna. They did a lot of stuff with the all, like there was an almond cake. Yes. There was a delicious uh, sorbet that had, I think, pomegranate seeds in it, but I'm yeah. not positive. Yeah. And we were just mixing and mixing up the medicine at that point. So we, we wrapped it up there at Zahav, but we weren't done. <laughs> we weren't done in Philly. No, that's right. And I, I the last thing I want to give shout out to Zahav is um, the affordability. Now, I you can go there and have like a um, a real, you know, blow out the bank kind of kind of experience if you want, but you don't have to. There were people sitting at the bar solo, just yeah. getting getting themselves a little something before they were heading home. Yeah, and I, I respect the um, the optionality there. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is fine dining, and if you want to go spend three hundred dollars on dinner because you have a great bottle of wine and order, you know, a dozen different things, by all means, go do that. But if you just are hungry. And you find yourself in town, Philly, for business, and you want to go try and experience the Hav. There are 16 seats at the bar, you know, give or take, from mm-hmm. what we observed. Get in there, and if you don't want to spend, if you don't have it, you can't put it on the expense account. Drop, you know, 25 or 30 or 40 bucks, and have a great, unbelievable transport of me. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely. It's it's it can be anything to anybody. You That's can it. you can you can work it out, and it's That's just it. right downtown. It's uh, in a really pretty part of town off of Independence Mall, so you get to see a little bit of the historical side of the city. And that whole area is just really popping off. It's right next to Penn's Landing. It's just really a pretty walk. We did a couple laps. Yeah, we did. To take some of the cows off. To get ready for it. Yeah. Hey, podcast pals, quick break before Chris and I get into the Reading Market Terminal tour that we took. We want to tell you about the Ringer's YouTube channel. Ringer has stepped up their game in 2017, and I'm going to say we stepped up our game in 2017 with weekly videos like Cousin Sal's Best Bet, Slow News Day with the brilliant Kevin Clark, NBA Desktop with Network, No BS with Mike Lombardi, Table Reads with a variety of NBA and other unexpected talent, director's commentary, and a Captain Morgan's make-believe casino, as well as Ringer's very own video podcast and many movies like Take Hunter, Ringer 360, and Claytheism. Coming in 2018, my friends, a weekly 
video mailbag from Bill Simmons, Mallory out of a hat, and a slew of other new digital shows. You don't want to miss anything, so please get yourself over to theringer.com slash video, or even better, just subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the ringer. All right, let's talk to Chris about the Reading Terminal Market. I, I cut you off. We, we, we were going to move over to the Reading Market, and, uh, we, we, Reading Terminal Market, and we uh, hit on this a little bit at the, at the beginning. You insisted today, pre-podcast. Well, my mom needed to get a chicken, so I was oh. going anyway. You know, so I knew <laughs> okay, that my mom wanted it. a rotisserie chicken. Mom needs a chicken. So hey, she house. dropped me off. She was like, I have you this come- great place for you. Yeah. <laughs> But Mama needs a chicken. So my mom dropped me off. I got her a chicken, and then I met House, and we hit the Knicks. Yeah, we hit the Knicks, and we got the the roast pork provolone broccoli rob. Yeah, which you can That's see true. on the Instagram. We did the unboxing. Yeah, with the the unwrapping, yeah. the unveiling. Yeah, was, yeah. And 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 uh, you know, I like it. it's the provolone and greens, pork provolone and greens. That's how you order it. Um, you know, it's it's it is. Uh, a very sizable sandwich. Yes. I, I, we split it. Yeah, we did. Uh, well, I didn't want to tell the hungry homies. It's okay. <laughs> I don't mind telling the hungry homies. I'm getting over this cold. I will be over it soon enough. Yeah. But um, the here here is my well, let me hear your you've had it many times. Yeah. So what what what's what do you like so much about it? Well, you know, I would I would make the argument that the roast pork rivals the cheesesteak as the flagship sandwich. I think the cheesesteak is obviously the thing that the mayor bets during the Super Bowl. It's going to always be the first thing people think of when they think of Philly, and for good reason. It is it is a perfect piece of food. But the roast pork sandwich, to me, is a got a little bit more complexity, and it's a little bit. I don't know if it's challenging. It depends on your taste for bitter greens, but it is. It's more confrontational, and I I almost find it like a more interesting eat. Well, it, in in this respect, and this is why I wanted you to go first to set the stage with it. I was unprepared for how the cheese was going to melt into the roll, mm-hmm. and how the roast pork drives that alchemy. The pork itself is very juicy, so the juices there have the effect when they wrap it up in this paper. It's a double wrapper. You can see it on the Instagram at the House of Carbs. And you can you can uh, experience how the juices from the pork. Um, I, I was going to. I don't want to use that word. Um, flowing through um, down to the bottom through the broccoli are are taking that provolone layer and creating a singular. Like it's a sauce wrapper. Yeah, it's a singular. It's like a French dip or something. Oh, like that. it's a it's a French dip that you don't have to dip. And the thing is, is that. It might be a better sandwich on the fifth bite than the first. Oh, I, I'm a thousand percent there. Which I'm is right there right now. Not it. That's not the case for every sandwich. You know what I mean? And and I think that a lot of sandwiches degrade over time. This one improves. You have no idea. Uh, I didn't confess this to you when we were together. When we were getting d- down to the very end of it, um, you still had a couple bites left. Oh yeah. And uh, this is our first eating adventure, our first eating <laughs> tour. We, we we've crossed some lines together. I haven't crossed this line yet. Very close to grabbing Grab that all from your side of the table, bringing it over to my you side and finishing it, it off. I, well, I, I know went to that Quaker now. school. We're all about sharing. I know that now. <laughs> but, you know, you never know. People don't like. No, you never know how somebody's going to react when you grab off of their plate. Well, we still had some more more battles to fight. At yeah, we did. Yeah, we so did. So I made sure that House got a, a soft pretzel. Which soft pretzel? You you get those in any street corner in most American cities. People like that's the thing that you get when you got a dollar in your pocket and you don't have time to do anything else. 
But this was not like other soft no, pretzels. No, 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 no. This was essentially a butter delivery system. That's exactly the point. This is Miller's Miller Twists. Yeah. Yeah, Miller Twists. Uh, I had... I've not experienced. So what I what I was surprised by was when I grabbed my portion of it, I was worried that I was gonna it was gonna fall, it was gonna fall apart. A lot and of drop. integrity. Yes, exactly. And a crunch. A, a, a integrity and, and and a crunch, but not that leaden. No, you know, the crunch because it hasn't just, been sitting there. Someone's been basically painting this thing with butter and baking it. God and bless them. The the, the, kiss the them crunch on the mouth. is just the butter. The butter is the crunch, and there's they, of course they have some delicious salt flakes on top of there. So we ate, you know, we ate one naked, and then we brought out the second one. The honey mustard. We had to have the honey mustard. Yeah, and that that's a whole nother deal. You have to have it. You can't have it just by itself. Don't go there and get one and say I'm gonna. I don't want the mustard. I don't care for the mustard. That means you don't care for life. <laughs> if you want to live, get that mother effing pretzel. You can have half naked and then have the other half with the mustard. The mustard is sweet. It gets into your nose. It has a little heat to it. It's wonderful. It is, of course, a perfect complement to the buttery saltiness of of this <laughs> butter delivery vehicle. God bless the pretzel. Yeah, and then we wrapped it up with a couple of uh, famous deli cookies, chocolate chip and walnut. Had to do it. Um, was, you know, and it was just like the, 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 those were fantastic. They, yeah, you know, it was you, it was how we toasted. It was our toast. Yeah, our toast to the walk of 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 Philly. And all we've done is take two steps, Chris Ryan. Yeah, and in, so I mean, I think it, you know the the cool thing is is that watching House go through this, I could just see him just being like bringing the kid up here, bringing the wife up here. Simmons has to come out here. It's I like, said that to you. Yeah, I you're like a you? practically like a you're working for the Chamber of Commerce already. Well, I look all all Philly has to do is keep generating these uh, fantastic foods. There is, you know, I I know it's, it's not golf season right now. Some great golf in the Philly area. Yeah. I'm coming back. I mean, maybe I'll talk to the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> but we have there's a bunch of places. Shout out to the hungry homies for all the outstanding suggestions. Here's where we're going next time, Chris Ryan. Here's a short list: Delisandro's yes. cheesesteak because we couldn't get the Roxborough. It yes. didn't fit into the schedule. Polizzi Social Club in Bon Appetit's Hot 10 for 2017. OG Italian, Red Sauce Italian, we're going to do it. Uh, tell me a couple others. Vernick, there's a bunch of stuff happening in Fishtown, Kensington Quarter. Uh, what was the place that Tom told us about this? The pho place? You know, the f- I, I mentioned Pho 75 because some fantastic... And he was uh, like, no, stock. Yeah, so... so- he he what he recommended he said Fuss 75 has its place of course Fuss 75 but here's how you tell a real authentic uh, Philadelphian that you know what's going on stock yeah so all that's our list for next time if the hungry homies you know we'll be in Philly we, we look we can only get to a city maybe once a year this is it for 2017 we'll plan our 2018 those are five or six of the joints we're going to hit yeah and the thing is about Philly is it's worth the return trip man it's oh. it's 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 you know it doesn't have the flash maybe of New Orleans or Austin or Chicago or some of the other yeah, spots. Stature of New York, but, but come on, man, you can walk it. around. You you're, you're loving hotel life. You you got you're overlooking the Liberty Bell and you're well fed. It's 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 the city of hungry brotherly love, <laughs> That's right. and I really appreciate you taking me on that. Tour My pleasure, man. Happy love, holidays. Love you, buddy. Happy holidays. All right, my taste buds. Awesome chat with Chris Ryan. Of course, we have food news. In fact, the last food news of 2017 with the inimitable Juliet Lipton. Before we get there, how about a couple words from some friends of ours? Let's first talk about stamps.com. And when we talk about stamps.com, we talk about the holidays. 
are always the busiest time of year. That's a little Phil Sims throwback for all of the uh, BS podcast listeners. What do you have on your holiday to-do list? How many errands do you have to run? Let me tell you about how Stamps.com is going to help you save time this holiday season. The holidays are almost here. We have a week. Who has time to go to the post office? We're all busy. Busy people. Busy sending holiday cards and busy sending gifts. Here's what we do. We use Stamps.com instead. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. And then the mailman picks it up. Stamps.com makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale to calculate exact postage and will even help you decide the best class of mail every time. Print your postage any day, any time. Stamps.com is always open. I use the Stamps.com because I'm a last-minute kind of shopper, last-minute kind of sender, and I need that late-night postage option so I can prepare all my packages and have them ready for the postal service first thing in the morning to pick up. Right now, you too! My friends can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer. Listen to this. Four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitment. That's the offer. It's a great offer. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and at the top of the homepage, just type in CARBS. That's C-A-R-B-S. Stamps.com, enter CARBS. C-A-R-B-S. Stamps.com, enter CARBS. Do it today. My friends, we also have a nice word from the good people at Policy Genius. Let's talk about life insurance. If you are an adult, and I am one, especially one with kids, I got one, you know you need it. But it's so easy to put off. Shopping for life insurance is definitely confusing. It definitely takes forever. And you have to talk to an agent just to get a quote. Policy Genius, on the other hand, lets you compare life insurance from the top providers online. It can take as little as five minutes if you're busy. Take one minute per day for five days. Find a policy you like, and if you want to know more, you can talk to one of their licensed experts. That's for you to decide when you're ready to do it. If you're just browsing, you don't have to talk to anyone. Browse away. And they don't do just life insurance. You can get disability insurance, renter's insurance, pet insurance, and you can also compare health insurance. If you need life insurance, but you've been putting it off, get on that policy genius. You can compare life insurance online on your own terms in your own time. PolicyGenius.com because you should only be forced to speak to an agent if you've committed a federal crime. All right, my taste buds, my culinary comrades, my hungry homies, you know what time it is as we do here on the House of Carbs. It is now time for Food News. Yo, Juliet. Hey, hey, hey. You are in New York City. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you, too. How's yeah. it going? Um, I'm in Philadelphia. I just completed an eating tour. All we did was scratch the surface, Chris Ryan and I. I'm happy to announce that I survived, at least, you know, uh, so far. Um, we wrapped up two hours ago, and I haven't keeled over. So that's nice. a, I'm going to call it a big success, and we ate some unbelievable food. We really focused on... The Mediterranean and and primarily Israeli cuisine, not what mm. you would anticipate out of uh, out of Philadelphia necessarily. That's probably my favorite cuisine, at least at least number two. Yeah, right. 
Um, it, it was a real revelation, and Chef Michael uh, Solomonoff, we gave him a lot of love during the course of the conversation. Chris and I were going to have him on as a guest on House of Carbs, and hopefully in, in, in January, and we can really um, you know break down his inspiration uh, for, for, the, for the restaurants. But it was just uh, an, an adorable experience, enjoyable experience, and I highly recommend you getting down here to Philadelphia for, for a Zahav experience. I would love to. I really do love Israeli food, and I just love hummus. Like, love it. It's probably, it's like top five food for me. So that's great because um, I would say that the very best hummus I've ever enjoyed in my entire life, I ate yesterday at um, really? a hummus-focused place here that is part of the uh, Cook and Solo empire. Peter Cook, Michael Solomonov, Cook and Solo, uh, called Dizengoff. Cool. Yeah, fantastic. Unbelievable. I got to try that. You have to come to Philly and try this hummus. Okay, I will. Um, tell me about New York. It's the holiday season in New York. There is absolutely no better time to be in New York than this very moment. It's true. It's quite nice. So far, I've eaten at Parm, the meatball sandwich shop from the mm. Teresi guys. Um, I also did a totally random solo ramen last night, which was delicious. Oh, it had min- it was a spicy miso with minced pork oh, ramen. Beautiful. Minced pork is not in ramen enough. I loved it. I'm it was so, delicious. I couldn't agree more with you. We're really in ramen season right now. Yeah, we are. I was like a little cold. It was yeah. dark. I yeah. was just like, I just need some ramen. Yes. Um. And then my mom keeps in the freezer this like vegan chocolate cake that she that she makes like sliced it up and then you can like just have like one piece at a time defrosting it in the microwave. It was really good. So oh, thanks, mom. What an idea! I had no idea. I'm I'm I very. Know. Let me just say right now, I'm very skeptical. Uh, it's really good. The first of all, it's vegan, so I'm skeptical of that. Second of vegan all, vegan desserts are great. It's have in you ever the had freezer. A vegan donut? Um, well, my 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 son has all the allergies, uh, and oh, I've had right. I've had a lot of vegan desserts from made from scratch. Um, it's the idea of it being in the freezer and then it coming out of the freezer that's challenging me. No, it's it's no. really good. You just say no. It, it comes out. You're able to slice it. It's perfectly contained. It has. Uh, it's she for- pre-slices it and uh, individually wraps each slice. Wow, moms are the best. I know. <laughs> Mom, and- unbelievable. I have a hard time falling asleep, and when I come to New York, like I just have a hard time like shifting three hours. Yeah. I don't I, domestic jet lag. You know. Word. Word. I, word. And so it was like 1 a.m. and I was like, well, I'm wide awake and I need a snack. So this chocolate cake was waiting for me and it was great. That is heroic. I would, yeah. I, if I see your mom, I'm giving her a hug and I'm going to say <laughs> vegan chocolate cake. That's what, I, that's what the hug, first hug I'm going to give her. It's really, it was really good. Um, I hope to have several bagels before leaving. I'm doing a dim sum on Thursday. Can you please um, get me a little Russ and Daughters? I mean, I, sure. I keep seeing it. Um, it's blowing up. The infatuation guys are going. Some of our other um, hungry homies on the Instagram that we follow. I keep seeing Russ and Daughters, and it's just driving me bananas. Yeah, Russ and Daughters and Sedell's are kind of like the in bagel places okay. right now. Sedell's, that's another one. Infatuation yeah. had Sedell's up today. Sons yes. of bitches. Um, here's my thing. I'm from the Upper West Side. Yeah. And the that's where Zabar's is. And uh-huh. it's where H&H used to be. Okay. So I'm like really sentimental about my bagels. H&H closing really, really hurt. Mm. And that that there's still a bagel-sized hole in my heart. Um, <laughs> but I just buy bagels at Zabar's and just get the locks there. And then okay. there's this other specialty store called Murray's, which is a sturgeon shop, which yeah. is like specializes in locks and smoked fish oh. on uh, 90th and Broadway, where they have like just the world's best cream cheese, scallion cream cheese. I It's so good. And I just like 
those are those are like like the Zabars uh, sliced locks and the Murray's scallion cream cheese are like two of my favorite things in the world. So it's very hard for me to go anywhere else because like those are just so important to me. However, maybe I'll do it for you for this podcast. Give it a shot. Well, it doesn't have. I'll take your. Sampling. I'd rather have the Juliet Littman sampling across all of those beautiful <laughs> establishments. Here's the thing that I'm, I'm finding at this stage in my life. I am coming to believe that there was a moment in, in my long connection to this mortal coil in the time before. There is definitely, I lived a Jewish life at some point along the way here <laughs> because I can't tell you how delicious what you just described. Like, I love sturgeon. I yeah. love whitefish. I love whitefish salad. So I, does my dad I, and my I, grandma. I love smoked salmon. I love I love bagel. I mean, I, everything you're describing right now is like, and, and the experience I just had of a full day's worth of very um, um, specific focus on different aspects of Israeli cuisine and Israeli flavors on a mid, you know, kind of Middle Eastern cuisine. I just, I think there's something to it. It's really good. I mean, I think my favorite meal is a everything bagel, not toasted, scallion cream cheese and lox, open face sandwich. Like not, you know, I, I can't think of anything better. That sounds delightful. It's yeah, absolutely it really wonderful. It's so good. I'm going to have a lot of that in the next couple of days. Yeah. So that's the holiday fever and fervor that we want as we approach this food news that we're going to read about today. Let's start with a heartwarming story on that note. Word. This is a story out of um, ABC 13 News in Houston, Texas, and it's a social media tale. It's the story of a young girl named Jackie Garza, whose um, family bakery, La Casa Bakery and Cafe, didn't flood from Harvey, but it did lose customers as a result of the flooding. And um, the owners, her father, a man named Trinidad Garza, was about to sell the, the business, and uh, that would have been sort of the end of end of his dream. And so Jackie went to Twitter and she wrote, my dad has a little panaderia. He's been thinking about closing, but I can't let it happen. Spread the word. One retweet could bring in a potential customer. So fast forward. She now that that uh, tweet now has over 60,000 retweets, 50,000 faves and 552 responses. And um, out of as a result, they they're back in business. She's she saved the business. Um, and they're like, they're selling out of food basically. That That's, um, a beautiful story. And it is, as we end 2017, a wonderful high note for the power of social media, for the forces of good, as yeah. opposed to social media and how depressing and debilitating it can be and what a bad place the internet can be. This is a wonderful moment. And I also love this story because it introduced a new uh, term into my lexicon, the panaderia. Panaderia, panaderia. yeah. Panaderia. I'm, I'm sure I'm botching that pronunciation. Me too. But it's it's a place where one of the things that is that's served in the bakery is pan dolce. Um, and so in the panaderia, oh, that's terrible. I give myself an F. That's a I failure. Know. But, you know, God bless. Pan dolce is delicious. And I want, I'd love to try it from scratch. Uh, I think I need to get down to the La Casa Bakery, like, uh, you know, the tens of thousands of people that have been attracted to the joint since her tweet. Um, I know. It uh, looked really good. There's, it, it looks like a, just delicious treats. I love pastries, love baked goods, love bakeries. So this is I was this is a really heartwarming story. It's, it's pretty great. Two thumbs up, Jackie Garza. Yeah. To the Garza family, have a great holiday season. Great holiday season. Um, okay, next story. This one is about the five-second rule, and it comes to us from Refinery29. 
Uber Eats conducted a survey of 1,000 people to better understand Americans' eating habits. And uh, for half of those surveyed admitted to eating food off the floor. A quote from the head of Uber Eats. The eating habits of Americans are ever-involving, and we believe it's important to to just as constantly find ways to more deeply understand what, where, and when people eat, and ultimately why. If we better understand our eaters, we can better serve through products built with their needs in mind. So they did a survey to make Uber Eats more successful, is is what she's saying there. Um, And some of the key takeaways were rather surprising. For example, they found that brunch is on its way out, and though it still may seem popular in social media, people are starting to prefer a late-night meal instead. Um, Late night vegan chocolate cake. (laughs) Holla. As mentioned before, half of those surveyed admitted to eating food that has fallen on the floor, but an even greater number, 56%, admitted to eating food they know is expired. So um, this is a lot of people breaking or breaking that five second rule, and we need a new name for what it's called when you ignore expiration dates. I don't, I don't even know what to say. This is great. That's exactly right. Uh, if you eat past the expiration, let's let's, let's work on that. Uh, I'm sure the hungry homies can hit us with some great suggestions for that. I find this survey very curious. Okay. Like. Why would Uber Eats include, you know, with the model that they're pursuing and, and you know, the taste food habits of um, their, their consumer base, why do they give a shit whether or not people eat food off the floor and violate this five-second rule? It definitely sounds – I think the expiration date is, like, actually even more germane to this because I'm like – so does that mean that like you let your food sit in the car for longer than it should? Does that mean like a dairy product is held outside of the refrigerator for like longer than it should be? That there's a that's alarming to me. Why does Uber Eats care? That's all. That's the only thing that I'm I'm wondering about. Now I will say this: uh, Mallory Rubin and I did uh, as we as we are wont to do uh, a, a check in on the state of food delivery. And at that point in, in October, when, when Mallory and I were in each other's company, we did not um, recognize Uber Eats as, you know, a kind of full service operation. Um, we had representatives reach out to us to, to uh, inform us that, indeed, Uber Eats has a full service, full suite of delivery options, um, many fine restaurants, many restaurants where they have exclusivity. And I, my own self, um, went ahead and, and tried a little bit in D.C., what is um, interesting is like, what does that food delivery aspect? I don't. There's never going to be an instance where I'm ordering food from a restaurant and the expiration date of, of food is relevant to that uh, assessment. Right. So right. that was a long uh, lead-in, but I'm basically saying I agree with you. Yeah, and like, what are they really getting at here? We, we it's unclear. It's unclear what the real point of the survey was, and there's got to be an ulterior motive. I don't think the five second rule thing is that shocking. Me either. I, that's that's yeah. consistent with. I'm I'm surprised it was with fifty whatever percent. In my life, it's ninety seven percent. Yeah. Like my <laughs> wife drops something on the floor, um, if she you know uh, if if she cares about it and hasn't disintegrated, she'll eat it. My kid obviously, my kid would eat off the floor if we would serve it to him on the floor, and I obviously you know I'm not letting a, a, a one a single good bite go to waste. There's no such thing as food loss in my household. Of course not. No, no food loss. No food loss. Every food <laughs> saved. One thing about Uber Eats that like, I, I think is interesting, the brunch thing is interesting to me, because they have like a more limited number of, of um, like restaurants available on the app usually. Yeah. And there's sort of like set number of, it'll it'll go to the place and like pick it up for you like with Postmates, but then it also has like a set number of meals that they're just driving around with, like from X restaurant. Yeah. 
And so I thought the brunch thing was interesting in terms of like, well, maybe they're they're going to cater. They're going to have fewer brunch meals like at like 11 a.m., but more like pizza available at 11 p.m. I would say this, uh, and this is an, an innovation that I applaud uh, McDonald's for and give them a pat on the back. I want an egg sandwich when I want it, and that is all times of the day. Yeah, I don't want to be limited, and this is what I'm worried about with this brunch thing. Don't start shrinking the, the time window in which I can get a delicious bacon, egg, and cheese or sausage, egg, and cheese on a wonderful English muffin, perhaps brioche. Sometimes I'll have a, inside of a two fries inside of a croissant. You know, with a nice slice of, of cheese on either side of it. Give me all those options when I want them. This is the a la carte moment that I'm I'm dying for. Yeah, I agree. You agree with I that? Just, I, egg sandwiches and breakfast burritos should be available at all times. Twenty four seven. It's the twenty first century. Moving, since moving to California, I've just become such a breakfast burrito convert. It's just a great food. So this is the thing. This is a perfect segue into our last story of the day. <laughs> this story is from Taco Bell. And uh, as of this week, Taco Bell's expansion with drive through restaurants is continuing its spread across the U.S. with the first cantina to open in Southern California. Uh, Newport Beach joins Wabash in Cincinnati as cantina openings in the past month alone, bringing the total to 11. Additional city locations are in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Chicago, Boulder, and Madison. It will all be coming soon, adding to the continued urban development growth of 300 drive through free locations opening over the next five years. If that sounded all very corporate to you, it's because that is direct from the Taco Bell press release. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let's break it down. What's the deal? So Newport Beach has one of these cantinas, which I think started in Las Vegas, if I am correct. Okay. And it's or, or there was one in Chicago very early on as well. I think actually was Chicago was first, and then it started to spread. Um, and as of last Friday, they are selling Taco Bell beer to like, kind of like a like a frozen alcoholic drink. And um, there's like a new kind of design inside the restaurant. And these are these these are these Taco Bell cantinas is what they're calling them. Um, and they're also open from 7 a.m. to 2 a.m. It's kind of like a different kind of vibe. It's not the same drive through. There's no drive through. It's an in-store experience. And it's sort of like their take on like a sit down Mexican restaurant except it's Taco Bell. So it's like basically a fast food restaurant still. Is there I- is there table service? Um, no, you still have to order at the at the counter. Okay. But I will say in California. So many restaurants, like I didn't really notice this, notice this until my parents pointed it out. So many restaurants, you have to go to the counter and order and then they bring it to you, which I think is similar to here. Like you get like a number. Like waiter service in LA at least is much less. Like not every restaurant, like I would say like a, a decent portion of restaurants don't have waiter service in the traditional sense. I'm kind of stunned by that. Um, how else is a starving actor supposed to, you know, uh, stay em- employed in some form of life while they try for acting jobs? Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. It's weird. I think they saved money Uber? that way. Is that uh, every every starving actor is now an Uber driver in L.A.? Yeah, exactly. You get some beautiful Uber drivers in L.A.? Is that true? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, I, I was unaware of this cantina concept. I kind of love it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm especially intrigued by the idea of this beer. I know that they collaborated um, with a local brewery. And this particular story that I saw was had to do with Newport Beach and the Newport Beach Cantina opening. And they have this this special local beer there. That's great. I really support that. I want that in my hometown. The thing that I wanted to observe, I have two observations to make. The first is it seems a little curious to try and tackle the Northern California, I mean, uh, um, Southern, the, California. Southern California market. 
Yes, like, it's quite close to uh, Mexico where they have real Mexican food. On planet Earth, there is really no better um, source of diverse opportunities to explore wonderful Tex-Mex, Southern Mex, California Mex, the Mex experience um, at independent restaurants uh, that that dot really they start from you know slightly north of L.A. and then they run all the way down to the Baja through San Diego, right? Yeah. And and so I applaud Taco Bell for going ahead and pursuing. It doesn't mean that you don't have a Taco Bell. People want their Taco Bell when they want it, but it just seems curious. Like, why can't I have that in Washington D.C.? Why does it have to be in Newport Beach? This right. is my complaint. It could be anywhere. It seems like a really dicey place to start this. That's what I'm getting to at. To keep expanding. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. The other thing is... And a lot of competition if, you, if you're looking for a canteen of That's meal. the point that I'm making. Like, I, if I'm going to go sit down and invest the time, then I think I want to try a place that, um, you know, maybe it's been around for a while. Like, I know what Taco Bell is going to deliver me. Uh, to me in the food experience and it's wonderful but but the real appeal of taco bell to me my orientation for it is in the car or in the car on the way home for a very quick you know i'm not it's not going to be in the car for long um if i want to sit down and eat that's not my orientation so kudos taco bell for the innovation but i wouldn't say mess don't mess with the west coast the yeah. West Coast is where it's at. Everybody already knows that. Come out to my hometown. Now, look, we have uh, an inroad. We we um, very lucky at the House of Carbs. People are looking out for us. The Hungry Homies want us to have the very best guests. I think we're going to have the CEO of Taco Bell, Brian Nickel, as That's a great. guest on on House of Carbs in in sometime in early 2018, Juliet, you and I, I think we 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 owe it to the hungry homies, to our culinary comrades, for you and I to sit down with Brian and have him explain this to us. I would love to. I also just want to say I love Taco Bell, so I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I just love a double duck taco so much. Well, you the, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the cantina, but we're also gonna get Brian to, um, and I know you have a particular affinity for this, the R&D kitchen. Walk us yes. through the R&D, Brian. Exactly. Right? I can't, I can't wait. It's going to be a good one. Well, I think, Juliet, this might be the last food news of 2017, so I think it's fine to say Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you and to our taste buds. To all the taste buds out there. There will be a, no- a show next week. We're going to do, we have an awesome Q&A, an hour-long AMA Q&A. With Chef Richard Blaze, speaking of San Diego, California, Top Chef's own resident nerd. He he told me that I'm allowed to call him a nerd, so it, oh, it, great. it's cool. And it's an awesome okay. uh, hour of listening. Um, so until then, uh, my hungry homies, you please uh, give us a listen. But Juliet, Happy New Year. I Happy will Year, talk House. to you in 2018. See you then. And I look forward to all the food news stories. As do I. All right, Taste Buds, that will do it. Another outstanding House of Carbs in the books. Thank you so much for the listen. As I discussed with Juliet at the end of Food News there, we have an outstanding one-hour-long Ask Me Anything Q&A chat with Chef Richard Blaze. You know him from Top Chef. 
You know him from his cookbooks. You know him from his outstanding restaurants. It's a really great conversation. We cover a ton of territory. So give us a listen next week. House of Carbs, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. You can also check out our Instagram feed at the House of Carbs. Lots of great pictures going up from Chris and I on our Philly food tour. But until next week, let's stay hungry out there. 